Well, hey, tonight as we get started uh, by talking about the family, I thought that I would uh, begin tonight just by opening up the Green Family photo album and share a couple of pictures with you. Uh, This first picture is, uh, it's actually the very first picture ever taken of me holding my daughter Adeline. That is there at, uh, what was it, Union Hospital in Terre Haute. Uh, We were so excited. For those of you that don't know, um, Amber and I were able to adopt Addie. Um, But we were blessed enough to be there in the the, the delivery room as she was born. Uh, She was born seven weeks premature. Uh, The timestamp on the photo says that it was taken at 2.27 a.m. on May 12th, 2012, Uh, roughly about two hours after she was born. Now, let's leave this picture up because you may not be able to see it there, or maybe you missed it, but what you're looking at is is not just the first picture of me holding my daughter. It is also the very first time that I realized I have no idea what I'm going to do now. Like no clue what I am supposed to do now. We had only found out that we were going to be able to adopt Addie six weeks earlier And so it had just kind of been a whirlwind up to this point. I I don't know if you were really ever ready to be a parent, uh, but we barely had enough to wrap our minds around. We were about ready to be parents before I found myself holding this precious, tiny, seven-week premature little girl. And then to make us feel even more unprepared and inadequate um, for our job as parents, God decided to bless us with another one. And so a week after this moment right here, we found out that we were pregnant. And eight months and four days later, Nora came along. And as you can see from this next picture, uh, we weren't the only ones who didn't know what to think about this. Can we just, uh, we have a a close-up of Addie's face. Can we see that? Look at that face. She does not look too thrilled about this little thing that just came and ruined her life right there. (laughs) I love that picture. I love those little girls so much. I'll tell you, parenting is a scary thing, isn't it? It's scary. Some of you have found out that grandparenting can be equally as scaring, if not more. Um, but, but what I'm finding is that just as we are getting into one stage and we're finally getting comfortable with it and we're like, okay, we got our game plan together and we got things figured out, then they go and grow up and like we go into a whole new stage and we have to figure it all out again. And really, you know, what we've realized is we're just kind of making all of this up as we go along, trying and praying for the best. That's really the best that we can do. But what I've also found is that the Bible has so much wisdom to speak to us as parents, even as grandparents. Like God doesn't give us an instruction manual when they're born, but he gives us an incredible amount of insight in his book that has helped me um, prayerfully be the best father that I can be to my daughters as I grow in my love for the Lord and, and understanding of his grace in my life. I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that, that then somehow I can take that love and that grace and I can impart that into my, my daughters, into my wife, into our family. And so I want to take a look at a text um, that I think speaks so much to this tonight as we are talking about this important issue of the family. If you have a Bible or a Bible app that you like to use, turn with me to Colossians chapter 3, verse 20, and just kind of hold it there. Colossians chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible or an app, uh, we'll have the words up on the screen here. In just a moment, Colossians is such an incredible book. If you were looking for maybe a a chapter or or a, a book to study. Um, Colossians is so rich. Uh, Paul wrote Colossians um, to 
uh, while he was in a Roman prison cell, kind of suffering for his faith. And and this, this book is so rich and deep. And, and in Colossians, he proves over and over and over that Jesus is the one thing that changes everything. Jesus is the one thing that changes everything. He changes our standing before God. He gives us a new identity. He restores hope and peace. Jesus even speaks wisdom to our relationships. The gospel, Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, and the grace that we have received through that speaks even to the most intimate relationships in our life. And so in Colossians chapter 3, Paul begins to get very, very practical about how our faith in Jesus begins to influence everything in us, including the most important relationships in our lives, the relationships that happen underneath the roof of our home. It's as if Paul is saying that the real measure of what is happening on the inside of you is shown behind closed doors. The real measure of what is happening inside of you is shown behind closed doors because you can put on a really good facade and face for everybody outside, but it's the people inside of the home that know what God's really doing in your life, the transformation that Jesus is really making in your heart. And and so what he's saying is that the people who know us best should be able to see the gospel influencing our lives and our relationship with them as we, we begin to live and act And treat them more and more and more like Jesus. And so in verse 18 and 19, Paul looks at the marriage relationship. And he says that a a healthy gospel-centered marriage is defined by both people giving their lives away for one another. Both people laying down their rights and their expectation and their desires for the good of another. A gospel-shaped relationship looks and acts a lot like Jesus who laid down his rights for us and ultimately gave his life for us, Paul points to that as our example in a marriage relationship. And then he stays in the home and he turns his attention to the relationship between parents and their children. I think that he says as much, if not more, in these two verses than many of the parenting books that I've read. Let's look at it together. Colossians chapter 3, starting in verse 20. Paul writes, children. I just want to stop right there children. I don't want us to miss the magnitude of this. By addressing children directly, Paul comes right out the gate and shows their value and their worth. He affirms them as important to God and to the church. And I don't want us to miss this because no one else was saying this. At this time, no one else would think about addressing children directly, especially someone as high of magnitude and importance as Paul. But Paul understands that Jesus changes everything, and he also understands that that children are just as loved and valued by their heavenly Father as any of us are. And so in verse 20 and 21, he gives them both responsibilities and rights in the kingdom of God. Right off the bat here in verse 20, he identifies them as important and he gives them in the next two verses both responsibilities and rights in the kingdom of God. The responsibility to obey their parents in response to God's love and the right to be assured that they are loved and valued and accepted for who they are. So verse 20, children, Obey your parents in everything, 
for this pleases the Lord. Now, some of you, you're like, if your kids were here, you'd be nudging them. You hear that? You hear what God's saying to you? Obey me in everything. Hold on, hold on. Verse 21. Fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. And we're going to talk more about that here in a moment. Because there's a, there's a really good relationship here, give-take, that, that Paul lays out for us. But what I want us to again understand is that no one is saying this. No one at this time is giving children any kind of rights or showing them any kind of value. To me, these verses are just further proof that Jesus makes all things new. In Christ, value is given to everyone, even the most dependent and vulnerable in our society. Value is given to everyone, even the most dependent and vulnerable in our society. And so how do we value our children the way that Christ values us. I want, I want to look um, a couple of different ways. I want to look in the home. I also want to look in the church. And, and, and so I want to start with the church. So as a church, how do we value children? There are many ways that we do it, but one of them is through our family life ministry. And so that means that Sherwood Kids is not just an afterthought. We don't do kids' ministry on Saturday night just so that they have something that they can do uh, to, so that we can attend church distraction-free, okay? Sherwood Kids is not a babysitting service. It's not what it is. It's not child care. In Sherwood Kids, we teach our children. Uh, we, we love them. We point them to Jesus. We want to come alongside of our parents and our grandparents and help you in your God-given job to disciple your children and your grandchildren so that they come to a place in their life where they know the love of Jesus and they experience it themselves. As a church, this should be our priority for the next generation to, who is coming behind us to know and to love and to follow Jesus more closely than we ever did. Like as a church, that should be our priority, that the generation who is coming behind us will know and love and follow Jesus more closely than we ever did did. So the question is, how are we doing in this? As a parent, I can tell you that my kids love coming to church. They love it. Their two favorite nights of the week are Wednesday nights when we host Life Group at our home. Uh, there are some kids that come and they run upstairs and we don't hardly see them for two hours. We hear like little pounding noises and them running into walls and hitting the floor and all of that. So we know they're still alive um, and we're pretty sure they'll come down and get us if anything happened because they've done that a couple of times. But they love Life Group on Wednesday nights. But they also love Saturday nights when they get to come to Bedford, as they called it. Before we moved to Bedford, uh, we were living in Spencer. And so whenever we'd be coming down to church here, we'd say, okay, we're going to go to Bedford. And so they just know this building as Bedford. Like they don't know that Bedford's an actual community. They think that this building right here is Bedford. And so even though we now live in Bedford, they say, are we going to Bedford tonight? Yeah, we're going to Bedford tonight. You'll, you'll learn it eventually as you go. Um, I can just see them like they're going to be at school talking about Bedford. I'm like, oh, you're talking about our church. Oh, that's really cool. Confused teacher right there. But they love coming here. And so as a parent, I can tell you that the ministry Jennifer and her team leads for our children is fantastic. It's fantastic, Jennifer. I'm so glad that you're in here tonight so you can hear me say that. It's great. And you're doing a good job. My, my girls love it. It is powerful. It is effective. At four and five years old, they are memorizing Bible verses 
They're becoming acquainted with sound biblical principles. And as a parent, I am telling you, I could not be any more thrilled than what I am for what my girls are learning at their church. As a pastor, we need to have a little heart-to-heart church. Church, we've got to step up our ministry involvement. And, and not just in kids' ministry. We're, I'm, I'm all, all across the board, we've got to step up our ministry involvement. We have the same people giving and giving over and over and over. And we need to come alongside of them, especially in, in kids' ministry. Long story short, Jennifer just does not have enough volunteers. For example, we have not been able to provide a nursery for as long as I've been here. Even though we have families in our church and in our community that need us to provide a nursery for them. We've had families come and visit our church and they've told me later, I I don't think that I can come anymore because because they had to keep wrestling their kids and they couldn't even sit here and, and worship and their kids weren't getting anything out of it either. We need to provide a ministry for our children in our church and for our community. We have some amazing and faithful volunteers that give so much to our kids' ministry, but I'm telling you, they need our help. Our kids need their church to step up, to teach them, and to love them. We simply don't have enough volunteers to offer the kids' ministries that our families need and that our community deserves when they come to visit. And I don't want to lay out a guilt trip because that trip does not go very far, okay? That is not what this is. But I want us to be aware of a need so that we can respond as a church. If we are truly going to be a church that values our children the way that Christ values us, then we need to provide the best ministry possible for them on Saturday nights, and we need your help to do it. I'm telling you, everything is in place. It is as easy as showing up to rock babies or color a picture or lead a discussion after they watch a video lesson. But as easy as it is, you have the opportunity. You have the opportunity to make an eternal difference in the life of a child and in their family. God has given you that opportunity here within the walls of this church just by showing up to serve with love. And again, we don't want something from you. We want something for you. We want you to find the joy and the satisfaction of giving your life away even to a child and teaching in our kids' ministry. And so if you're interested in signing up to be a volunteer at Sherwood Oaks Kids, uh, Jennifer's going to be in the lobby right after this service. And, and I invite you, don't walk, run to see her. She would love to give you information. Uh, she'd love to explain anything. You don't have to serve every week. In fact, I mean, we're just looking for once a month. And so if you're interested in that, please go out and see Jennifer um, after the service. So as a church, we value the children in Sherwood Kids because We believe that they are not just the church of tomorrow. They are the church of today. Our our kids are not just the church of tomorrow. They are the church of today. And so they are important to us and they are important to this ministry. Now for parents, um, how do we value our children the way that Christ values us? I think that Paul lays out a good formula in these two verses. First in verse 20, he tells children to obey their parents because it pleases the Lord. And then in verse 21, he tells parents not to be harsh with their children in an excessive way. In other words, don't nag, don't belittle them. 
Now, what happens oftentimes in families is that sometimes verse 20 is practiced and verse 21 is forgotten. And so in this type of home, the family motto is spare the rod, spoil the child, right? Like it might even be written on a plaque or a paddle somewhere that hangs predominantly in the house. In this type of home, children know their place, but they don't know if they are actually loved. It's a home filled with a lot of discipline, but little to no affection. And kids grow up feeling like they have to walk on eggshells around their parents. Maybe that's the kind of home that you grew up in. And it's left a lot of pain in your heart that you're still trying to recover from today. And so now you walk through life always trying to please the people around you, afraid of, of how they might respond to you. You have a hard time knowing if someone can actually love you unconditionally or if their love is always going to be based on your behavior. And that's what happens when you grow up in a home where verse 20 is practiced but verse 21 is forgotten, where, where discipline is, is heavy-handed but love is in short supply. But then there are families that nail verse 21 but completely forget about verse 20. These are the homes where it's hard to tell who the parents are and who the kids are. <laughs> These are the homes that some people may look at, scratch their head, go, it kind of seems like the inmates are running the asylum here. <laughs> In these homes, parents place their desire to be their kids' friends above being their kids' parents. And the kids know this and they take full advantage of it, oftentimes to their own detriment because the parents won't step in and do their job. In this type of home, the child goes through life with little to no accountability because they've just been coddled by their parents. This is what happens when, when verse 21 is practiced and verse 20 is forgotten. And obviously, neither one of these are healthy. And I think Paul, is, his point here is that both children and parents need discipline. All right, listen, both children and parents need discipline. Sometimes children need to receive it, but parents should always practice it, always. Parents and grandparents, we show value to our children and even our adult children, not when we let them get away with everything, and certainly not when we nag or belittle them all the time. We show value to our children when we discipline them from a place of love and correction for their benefit instead of pride and anger because we feel like our ego has somehow been threatened. And there's a big difference between the two. One is reactionary and comes from a place of our own insecurities. The other comes from a place of love and a desire to see our children or our grandchildren grow in maturity. One comes from a place of our own sinfulness. The other comes from a place of God's love pouring through us to our children. In fact, I think that really captures what Christ-centered parenting looks like. Christ-centered parents embody God's love and then extend it to their children. They embody God's love and grace and then they, they allow that to pour through them to their children. I, I loved Mark's communion meditation because we got to see an example of that right there. That man's love and passion for God absolutely pours out to his boys. And we got to see that tonight. But the, the Christ-centered parents love their children the same way that God loves them. They move towards their children in the same way that God moved towards 
us. And through Jesus, God moved towards us with truth and with grace and humility. Like that was God's ultimate display of a father's love for his children. He moved to us through Jesus with truth and grace and humility. Truth that she teaches right from wrong and that actions have consequences. Grace that reconciles relationships when wrong has been done. It reconciles relationships. And humility that sets the example of sacrifice and forgiveness and restoration. Parents, we need to lead in that kind of truth and grace and humility. We've got to set the example in our homes. Whether your children still live in your home or not, we've got to set the example in our homes of truth, grace, and humility. And just a a little note on humility. Parents, when you move towards your children, even your adult children with humility, you will foster an environment where they will embody that same type of humility towards you and towards God because you were the one who modeled it for them. I've seen it. I've seen it. When they see you confess your sin and receive God's grace and extend that grace to them and to others, your life will preach an incredible message to them. They'll understand truth and grace more fully. They will understand that they need Jesus in their life and that Christianity is so much more than going to church on a weekend. And so set the example for your children, no matter how old they are, in truth and in grace and humility. And here's why, and I believe this, when your children see your need for Jesus, then they're more likely to see their need for Jesus too. Like if all that Jesus does in your life is dictate what you do on Saturday nights or Sunday mornings, I promise you, your kids are going to grow up to a place where they go, I don't really need that. I've got better things to do. But if they see you humbly confess your sin, humbly show your need for grace, and humbly reconcile relationships with them, I'm telling you, that makes Jesus appealing to them. And they're going to realize that they need that in their life just as much as mom and dad does. And so set the example for that in your family. So in a gospel-centered household, parents will move towards their children with the grace and the truth and the humility that they have received in Christ. They will embody these things and they will give it to their children because of Christ's example to them. And so the question as we close today, for those of you who are parents, the question is this, how Do you need to move towards your children today? How do you need to move towards your children or your child or your grandchildren today? Is it with grace? Do they need you to say, I forgive you? Is it truth? Do they need to hear you say, I'm I'm right by your side every step of the way, but something's got to change? Is it humility? Do you need to call up your son or your daughter and have a heart-to-heart and say, man, I, I need your forgiveness? Maybe for something you did years ago, maybe for something you did yesterday. Is there something that's lingering that's become a roadblock between you and your child or your children that you need to ask for their forgiveness. Maybe it's all of the above. Today, would you go 
looking for your children in the same way that God came looking for you? Would you move towards them with grace and truth and humility in response to the grace and the truth and humility that Jesus showed you?